we've been in a series called Starting Over, and it was so neat to be a part of Starting Over Stories today, where God had touched people's lives in a way that they wanted to be baptized in, in water. And this series, I think, is an important series because we all have regrets. We all have events in our past that we wish never happened. And uh, some of those regrets uh, still haunt you today. And the question is, what do we do with those? What do we do with those? That's what we're going to tackle today. Before we jump into that, though, how many uh, dog lovers do we have in the house? Dog lovers? I have a dog. I'm not raising my hand because I'm a dog lover. I'm just being an example to you. Uh, Jake and I have a love-hate relationship uh, at home. Uh, but uh, dogs, can sometimes they can amaze you, right? I've, I've watched some TV shows where they have these dogs prancing around, dancing, doing obstacle courses, doing this like, wow, I can't believe dogs can do that. And then there are other dogs. <laughs> Perhaps you have one of those, where this might be their great skill. <laughs> one smart dog in the bunch figured it out. To move forward, he had to drop the big stick. You know, sometimes I think we're kind of a lot like dogs. Our big sticks, though, are called regrets. In order for us to let go of those, to move forward, we have to take this next step in our series on starting over. We've talked about types of regrets that we experience. One of those regrets is the regret of action, something that you have done that you regret doing. Maybe you had hurt somebody else or whatever that regret of action might have been. There's also regrets of inaction where maybe you should have done something and you didn't. Maybe it was a career path you didn't pursue. Maybe it was a relationship that you let slip. Maybe it was words that you should have spoken, but now you can't. And we have these regrets of inaction. And then we have regrets of reaction when uh, we react to what happened to us. Maybe somebody hurt you. Maybe a situation in life hurt you. And because of that, you reacted in a certain way. And out of that reaction, now you have Regrets, And we talked about what happens when we stew on these regrets. We, we get stuck in what's called the sorry cycle, where we just, uh, we, we feel the sting of our regrets. They're there to remind us. And we hope that maybe there could be something different. So we have this sense of longing that maybe things could change. But then our regret is there. And we get pulled right back down again into not pursuing, not putting ourselves out there, not trusting somebody else because of these regrets. And we get stuck in the sorry cycle. How do we break out of that cycle? You know, because regrets actually can be a good thing. That's what I want us to hear about this series. Not the event that happened itself, not, not what you did. That might have been horrifically terrible what happened to you. I'm not saying the event was good, but I'm telling you that regrets actually have a positive purpose in our life, that we can learn from those and move forward. Or we can choose to be like these dogs and have a death grip on our regrets that keep us bound and not allowing us to move forward into the life that maybe God would have for you. And so today, we're going to be talking about what to do. And in fact, last week, we already began talking about what do we do with these regrets? Once, once we know that we, we've got them, because everybody's got them, what do, we, what do we do with these regrets? And we looked at the life of David last week. I won't take time to preach that again, but King David of the Old Testament, he had some regrets that led to adultery, murder, deception. And we recognized last week that one of the things that we have to do is recognize our regrets. And he said this, in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13, David said, I have sinned against the Lord. He recognized what he had done. He had sinned. 
He takes that first step towards starting over. He recognizes his regret. But how many know that recognizing your regrets is not enough? It's not enough just to know that's what I did and recognize the regret. In fact, it kind of stings once you bring that back up again. And I, and I cautioned us early in this series as we talk about regrets, I know that some of you are like, I don't want to go there, Kelly. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to talk about it. But we have to recognize it. But that's not enough, is it? That takes us into today's next step. It's not just enough to recognize. The next step is we have to release it. We have to release your regrets. In order to move forward, we have to let it go. We have to drop that big step and step into the doorway of what God has for you next, a life beyond your regrets. And some of you think that's still just a wish and a prayer. You wish that life somehow could be free of the regrets that you carry today. But the reality is, friends, it can. It can be. The Bible is full of stories of people who had regrets, discovered salvation in Christ, and stepped beyond their regrets into a life that God has planned for them. So here's the question. What do you do when something in your household, maybe it's uh, an appliance, or maybe it's an electronics, when something goes wrong with those, what do you do? Some of you might do what I do. You go to YouTube, right? It's like, I have a certain machine, maybe it's my dryer, and it's not heating right anymore. So I go to YouTube to figure out what's going on, put in my model of the one I have, and, and watch some troubleshooting videos to figure out what I can do to fix it. And what I discovered was, when I was ready to toss out my dryer, I actually had a pretty cheap solution for one little part I had to order. And to discover that, I had to troubleshoot it, discover it, order it, put it in, and boom, it was done. Saved me probably hundreds in labor and certainly the cost of a new dryer. We troubleshoot. When something doesn't go right, we go to the manual or we go to Google or we go to YouTube because the web never lies, and uh, we discover what we should do, what we can do to fix the problem we have. So what I want to do this morning is I want to give us some troubleshooting when it comes to our regrets. Because there is a manual, friends, that if we look at it closely and properly called Scripture, called the Bible, there are, man, there, are, there are truths in this manual that help us not just recognize our regrets, but take that next step, which is to release our regrets. And we're going to give these troubleshooting um, statements in a question. Because sometimes when you're going through the troubleshooting manual, it says, you know, is this what's happening? And then it's, if so, this is what you do. So here's the first question. Do you regret committing a sin? Do you regret committing a sin? Because the reality is your regret probably at some point in time, one of the things that you regret related to sin, something that you did that you knew harmed your relationship with God and certainly perhaps even your relationship with somebody else. And sin is not a popular topic. I get it. Nobody likes to talk about sin. But if your regret relates to sin, you cannot move forward until you deal with this first step, which is called repentance. Am I sorry? Do I regret committing a sin? So the first step you got to take in that is repentance. And to repent basically is to agree with God that my way wasn't working, God. The way I was working away from you wasn't right. When I was choosing to go my own path, that was wrong. And repentance is turning your direction and making the choice to live differently with God's help in the future. And some of you remember those moments when you repented, when you came to that point recognizing your regrets, recognizing that it was sin. And in those moments, you repented to God and you said, God, I am sorry 
for this life of sin. I'm sorry for what I did. And you made a decision to turn around and to live differently. But here's the thing about sin. It's not just about breaking a rule. It's not like God is just some you know, rules master in the sky and, and checking off boxes when you commit them. Sin is relational. Did you guys know that? Sin is relational. In fact, when you sin, there, it creates a lack of peace in your relationship with God. When you sin against somebody else, it creates a lack of peace because sin is very relational. And so what do we do? We do what David did. He recognized it, and he confessed, I have sinned against the Lord. And while he understood that to be true, he knew that just recognizing it wasn't enough. He had to repent. So what do we do? If we have, have committed a sin, then the next step for us is to ask God for forgiveness. And we see David do that. In fact, we see it very clearly in a psalm that he wrote, Psalm 51. If you've not been in Psalm 51 lately, I'm just telling you, for all of us, including myself, all of us who have regrets, this is a psalm for all of us. Because this psalm was penned after Nathan the prophet confronted David for his sin of adultery, which led to murder, which he was covering up with deceit. And Nathan confronted him. If you want to read about it, you can read about it in, in uh, I believe, 2 Samuel. You can read about the story of that. Chapters 11, maybe 12, somewhere in there. But Psalm 51, I want you to grab your Bibles and go there. And if you're using um, the Bible app, we certainly encourage you to do that. In fact, if you are using the free Version Bible app, don't forget you can follow along with our notes directly in that Bible app by going to Menu, More, Events. You'll find Neighborhood Church there. Also, our new website is now available to you, albanync.org. And on our new website, if you just go to Messages, there's a drop-down that says Message Notes. You tap it. And there are the past three weeks of notes that are available for you in a blog format. And we'd encourage you to interact with this message today. But Psalm 51, it opens up. You know, the Psalms often have a description right beneath them. And this one says this. A Psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. So David gives us the context. And the first thing we see is David admitting and owning a sin. Look at it. Psalm 51, verse 1. Have mercy on me. O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. You notice what David's doing? One, he's begging for mercy, but two, he recognizes who God is. Some of you, when you think about God, you think all he is is angry at you, that all he does is hates you because of your sin. No, look at David's words. According to your unfailing love, his love never fails for you. And secondly, your great compassion. God is compassionate. That's what he leads with. Now, there are times you feel convicted, and that's normal when you've sinned against God. And it's that, con that conviction that brings us to repentance. But we can do that because of his unfailing love and his great compassion. He says, blot out my transgressions. Verse 2, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. See, he's owning it. It's not my mistake my bad judgment. No, what did he say? It's sin. He was calling it what it was. Verse 3, for I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. You ever been there before? It's like replaying over David's mind. Every time I close my eyes, this is what I'm thinking about, God. My sin is ever before me. And that's what regret does. It keeps that recall going. We ruminate over and over about the failures of our past. He says, man, this sin is always before me. 
Verse 4, against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. See, David owns it. He says, against you and you only. Wait out, Kelly, time out. He sinned against Uriah. He sinned against Bathsheba. Yes, he did. But you know where he had to start? He had to start with his relationship with God. Because he sinned against God in the acts that he committed. And then he needs to carry that forward toward those. Of course, he can't make amends with Uriah. Because Uriah is dead at David's own doing. But it's time to make it the next step. We'll talk about that more here in a moment. But he also then addresses his relationship with God. Look at it. As he moves forward, he's concerned about what this sin had done in his relationship with God. Just like many of you do. It's like, God, how many times can I fail? How many times before you write me off? I'm concerned about what this is doing to our relationship. Look at what he says, verse 11 of 51. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Isn't it true that sin just sucks the life out of the joy of your salvation? Why? Because it makes you wonder if you're worthy of it again. And you are. It's just the problem is we want to beat ourselves up with our sin. And we think that somehow if I just hate myself enough, if I hate my sin enough, that maybe through that God will see and know that I'm sorry. And you get stuck in the cycle of hating yourself because of what you did. And friends, that will not bring the forgiveness that you need. Self-hatred, anger turned inward, does not bring forgiveness. You have to bring those raw feelings to God and ask Him for forgiveness. So restore to me the joy of your salvation. And then notice what He says. And then grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. In other words, God, I know my heart, and I know that even though I'm confessing to you my wrong, that there is within me a desire to continue to do evil. And so create a willing spirit to sustain me, to keep me moving forward. Some of you, you want to start over, but you wonder if you can. Let me just tell you, the Holy Spirit within you can give you the power to sustain in that walk with him, in obedience to the leading of the Holy Spirit. So what happened? God forgave David. He was known as a man after God's own heart. And you can see other psalms related to this. But if you need a psalm of, of forgiveness, you need to make this psalm your own. In fact, just crack open Psalm 51 and pray it through your own words. Another great one is Psalm 32, where he talks about how blessed is the man who finds forgiveness. That's kind of my summarized version of that entire psalm, but it's worth a read. And here's the truth. If we confess our sins... He's faithful, and he's just. John says that in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. Well, if he's just, then why doesn't he condemn me? Well, because he knows. In his justice, he knew the solution for our sin was Jesus, his own son, standing in your place, taking your consequence for sin. So when he looks at your sinfulness, he sees the work of the cross of Christ, his son. And in his justice, he withholds judgment and instead extends forgiveness. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to purify us from all unrighteousness. So do you regret committing a sin? Because sometimes what we regret is getting caught. I'm so glad that it wasn't just the fact that David got caught that he regretted his sin. 
Some of us are kind of like those toddlers. We've got powdered sugar all around our mouth, and we totally deny that we ate the donut. And then somebody catches you, and you're sorry that you got caught. How many times have we watched professional athletes get caught in a moral compromise and then have to give their written out apology that doesn't at all look heartfelt? I'm sorry for the man. And I just feel like reaching the TV and grabbing him by the throat and saying, You idiot. This isn't repentance. See, 2 Corinthians touches on this. Chapter 7, verse 10. Listen to these words. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation. Here's the thing that's not just sorry I got caught, that's that sense of I have disrupted the peace between me and God through my sin. And I'm sorry for that. And that kind of sorrow of what you know that did in your relationship with God and what that did in your own life, because how many know there are consequences for our sin? Even though he forgives us, there are things that we still will have to deal with. And when that sorrow moves us to repentance, then what do we find? Salvation. Salvation. And I love this next phrase because it fits so well with our series. That leads to no regrets. See, true godly sorrow that brings us to repent, that restores that sense of salvation, we don't have to carry those regrets anymore. We can drop them like a bad stick. But look at this next part. But worldly sorrow brings death. What is worldly sorrow? I'm sorry I got caught. I don't really feel bad about it. I'm just sorry I got caught. And what's it bring? Death. If you're just sorry, friends, that your regret caught you, that will not bring the life you want. In fact, biblically, the consequence of sin, the wage of sin is death. And until you deal with that, I don't care how sorry you feel about getting caught, you will not experience his forgiveness until you turn that heart back toward God and are not just sorry you got caught, you're sorry in a godly sorrow kind of way for what that sin had did in your own life and your relationship with God. What does that require of us, though? It also requires that we forgive ourselves. How many times have I sensed maybe the forgiveness of God, but yet I don't let myself off the hook? And in so doing, I play God. He's forgiven me, but I am not able to forgive myself. So sometimes you have to do this. After you've prayed and sensed the forgiveness of God, you got to do this. And God, I forgive myself for, and you speak it. And when that comes up again, because remember, we tend to ruminate over things, but you know you've been forgiven. What do you do? I have forgiven myself. And I know that there is no condemnation, Romans 12, for those who are in Christ Jesus. Actually, I think it's Romans 8. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Question number two, do you regret hurting someone else? Sometimes our regret doesn't just affect us alone in in kind of a vacuum because of our own sins privately. Sometimes those hurt others. And maybe that's been what you've experienced. You've hurt somebody else. And sometimes what we regret means we got to do something about that relationally. Because sin is a relational matter, and when I tend to hurt other people, I might find forgiveness in God, and that's wonderful, but I need to take care of the next step, and I need to go to that person 
and seek forgiveness. So what do you do? You ask forgiveness from the person that you've hurt. When you have been forgiven from the Lord, that's wonderful, but you may often feel prompted to go to that person you've hurt and ask for their forgiveness. And furthermore, if possible, to make amends to that person for the wrongdoing and to seek reconciliation. I know this is hard. This is hard to do because it's easy to talk ourselves out of this. Kelly, you don't know what that conversation is going to go like. You don't know what will happen when I go to them. You're right, I don't. I don't know. All I know is that as I am forgiven by God, I have an obligation now to go make things right with the person that I have offended. In fact, Romans, Paul tells it this way, verse 18, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So here's the point. You can only do what you can do. So let's say you sinned against somebody. You sought God's forgiveness and it was, it was given because you know when we ask in the name of Christ for forgiveness, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, right? So we know we're restored before God. So now we need to take that next step and ask the person we've offended for forgiveness. And you know that when that happens, you can't control the outcome, can you? All you can do as far as it depends on you is to seek reconciliation. So you go to that person and with a heartfelt apology, you ask. You tell them, I'm sorry for what I did to you because I know that hurt you. And I know it's hurt our relationship and I am truly sorry. Will you forgive me? That's as far as you control the situation, friends. That's why Paul says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace. But they may not forgive me. You're right. They might hold a grudge and still hate me. You're right. But you have done what you needed to do. And the rest now is in the hands of God. But I'm not sure I can do that, Kelly. Yes, you can. Because his forgiveness within you compels you to go make things right. And while you can't control that outcome, you've done what you can do, and now you leave the rest in God's hands. And when it comes up, you pray, God, I know I've done what I can do. If there's anything else I need to do, I pray you'd lead me in that. But I've done what I can do to make amends. So if you regret hurting somebody else, ask forgiveness from the person. Do what you need to do, and then release it. And trust God with the outcome. Number three, Do you regret making a mistake? Now, I want to be careful around this one because sometimes in life, something you regret is just a tactical error in judgment, a really boneheaded decision that has no moral consequence. How many have made those kind of mistakes before? It wasn't malicious. There was no spiritual or moral issue here. You just made a mistake, right? Let me give you an example. One time I was in a rock band that wasn't the mistake. I actually enjoy rock music from, especially the 70s. But um, I was in a Christian rock band. That, that makes it maybe it's more palatable for the church. And I was in a Christian rock band with my brother and with Brad Duncan, who currently pastors The Shift. And we all had long hair and, and we played rock. You probably wouldn't have liked our concerts. But um, we were unloading gear and I was backing up the truck. And my brother was standing on the step just like this, guiding me back. And uh, I'm a young driver probably 17 at the point of this concert, and I put the bumper right into his ankle and pin his ankle between the step and the bumper of the truck. And he's a drummer. He's got to use that foot that night to drum. Now, did I go plead for mercy from God because of what happened? No, it was a mistake. I apologized to my brother for hitting him with the bumper of the truck, but other than that, it was a mistake. 
Nothing malicious. I don't need to go, God, forgive me for hitting James with the truck. I didn't mean to. I made a mistake. You know what I had to do? I had to forgive myself. When you've made a mistake and there's no moral consequence, be honest with that and go, I made a mistake and I need to forgive myself and then let myself off the hook. Now, the people who need to hear this the most in the room are the perfectionists. I know you're here. You still play over in your head what you did that was a mistake, and it's still there to remind you, do yourself a favor. You're going to go to heaven if you love Jesus. Just give yourself a break. Let yourself off the hook. Forgive yourself. Third question, or fourth question, do you regret being hurt by someone or something? I know this is the hard one because you were the one who got offended. You were the one who got hurt. And maybe that was at the hands of somebody who hurt you. Maybe uh, it was in a close relationship. It might have been somebody who should have cared for you, and instead they hurt you. And you live with that. Maybe for others, it was the wrong place, wrong time, and that car veered into your lane, and there was a car accident that set into motion for you a, a sequence of physical challenges. Or maybe it was that medical diagnosis when your body failed you, and you heard the words, you have cancer. And all of a sudden, something's happened to you, and now you have this regret. And the problem with that is, how do I reconcile this? I've been hurt. What do I do? And sometimes out of our hurt, we react totally wrong, and we hurt other people. Hurt people hurt people. I'm sure you've heard it before. But what do we do? And the truth is, this kind of regret can lead to shame, the things that have happened to us. It can lead to bitterness because somebody hurt us and we're just bitter and angry and we nurse that bitterness and anger and it keeps it right there on the edge so we can be quick to hate that person again and we nurse that. Maybe we just feel sorry for ourselves and we can't move forward because we're just stuck in a sorry cycle. You know, there was a great story. Maybe you've seen the movie Unbroken or read the book, but it highlights the story of Louis Zamperini who was a soldier during World War II and also an Olympic runner. And um, long story short, he gets uh, in captivity and he has some very harsh and cruel captors. He's in Japan and he seems to be singled out among everybody else and treated terribly, especially at the hands of the person who was over that particular prison of war. He gets set free. I won't spoil the rest of the story for you, but... When he returns home, he is just in torment about what happened to him. And he turns to alcohol to self-medicate, becomes a terrible person. But then in 1949, he happens upon a Billy Graham crusade where he gets saved. And God touched his life with forgiveness in a very dramatic way. And then the next year, 1950, he returns He returns to the area where he was so terribly treated, and now these Japanese soldiers who had treated him poorly are in their own uh, prison now for their crimes during war. And he goes to them, and he extends his forgiveness to them. They didn't seek him out. They didn't come across the world to apologize to Louis Zamperini, but he knew that he was forgiven. And as much as he wanted to have vengeance and revenge against those that hurt him, he extended forgiveness, knowing that as long as I hold this shame or this bitterness or this pain, I am still a prisoner. And it's not a prison of war. 
It's a prison of my own hurt. And I can't move forward. And the one person, the leader of that prisoner of war camp, wasn't there that day. And he tried to arrange a meeting, and the, the gentleman continued to, to not want to meet with Louis. So he wrote a letter extending his forgiveness and left the rest in the hands of God. What do we do when somebody or something has hurt you? What do you do? You forgive the offender. You forgive the offender. You forgive the offender. So how do we do that? Some of the, that means you got to have a conversation. That person may never seek you out. Well, shouldn't I wait until they come and apologize to me? Friends, you might be waiting for all of eternity. Because they may never come to you. Because maybe they're the kid with the powder donut. I didn't do anything wrong. They may never come to you. But you need to choose to have that conversation. It's going to be a hard one. But you need to do that. Secondly, if you can't do that, maybe, well, first, let me back up. First, you better pray. Pray, pray, pray. That starts. Because God's got to give you the strength to do it. Secondly, you have that conversation. If you can't have that because the person no longer is alive, or that thing wasn't a person, but it was an event in life that hurts you, then you need to write it. You need to write an apology for giving your body for getting sick. You need to write a letter forgiving. Louis Zamperini did that, and he doesn't, he didn't, he's not alive today, he's with Jesus, but he didn't live in that prison any longer. I think of those who were victims of crime. I sat under the testimony of one of the teachers at Sandy Hook Elementary. She and her 30 students were packed into a bathroom as they heard the most horrific thing happen in that elementary school. And as she was telling her story, to my knowledge, she's not a follower of Jesus, and she said these words, I can never forgive that young man for what he did. But then I read of the church in Charleston that was shot. Many of the church members were shot by this young man who turned up at a prayer meeting, and they forgave him for what he had done. How do people do that? Because the forgiveness of God touches your heart. And then you forgive. In fact, that's what, it, that's what we learn in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Friends, we can't play God over the lives of other people. If he has forgiven you, we must forgive others. And I know that's hard to hear for some of you because you're going, Kelly, you don't know my story. You're right, I don't. But I can guarantee you this, that unforgiveness will continue to be the invisible prison that will keep you captive from the future God has for you. I just don't know if I can do that yet. I understand. You need to pray and ask the Lord to help you with that because he will help you with that. And set your feet on a path. So too often, though, we're like those dogs with a giant stick. We just can't let it go. But here's what you also can't do. You can't bring that into your future with you. You cannot let the pain of your past continue to haunt you to this day. It's time to release some regrets. You recognized them. Now it's time to release them. And trust that God will forgive you and that you then can extend that forgiveness 
to yourself and to others. I want you to close your eyes for a moment. We come to a close. I'm sure that all of us in this room have at least one regret that's heavy on your heart. Let me ask you this question. How far into your future do you intend to carry the pain of your past? You see, starting over is for everyone. Everyone, everyone. No matter who you are, no matter what you're holding on to, you can live a life beyond regret. But it starts with a decision. A decision not to let the pain from your past influence your future anymore. David learned that. He decided to stop and call out to God and release his regret, and you must decide to stop and do the same. And I think it's a decision that needs to be made right now. Because the Lord's stirring this in your heart right now. Don't, don't put it off to tonight or tomorrow or next week or next Sunday. Make steps today. So with your eyes closed, I want you to think about this. Imagine for a moment with me that the regret that you carried is actually lifted from your life. And the story that you play over and over and over and over again in your mind suddenly stops. And you see yourself moving forward free. That can be you today. You can release your regret and start over now. I want you to envision this story with me. There was a minister that was on a train, and the only other occupant in this train car was a young man who looked extremely uncomfortable. He moved from seat to seat. He was standing. He was sitting. He was picking up a book. He was throwing it down. He just, he was just seemed agitated and on edge. And so this minister, while he wanted to have a quiet train ride, decides to go over to this young man and have a conversation with him. He says, young man, I, I, I can tell something's going on. You want to talk about it? And he said, well, he said, I ran away from home. I treated my parents horribly. They've been good to me all my life. And I, I treated them terribly, and, and I ran away. And I discovered life wasn't so good outside of their relationship, and I knew I needed to go home. And so I wrote a letter to my dad apologizing and, and asking if I could come home, and I heard nothing. So after a while, I, I wrote a letter to my mom. And in the letter I wrote, Mom, if, if you and Dad have forgiven me, then hang a white rag on the branch of the crab tree up in front of our house. Because when the train passes by our house, I'll see that white rag, and I'll know that I can come home. He told the minister, that, but the closer we're getting to my house, the more anxious I am that I'm not going to see a white rag on that tree. And, I, and if I don't, I understand, and I'll just keep going to the next station and keep going and keep going and keep running. And I just can't bear to look. So the minister tapped him on the leg and said, young man, I'll look for you. You don't have to look. So as they got near, he, he closed his eyes, and he couldn't stand to see what he was going to find. And so the minister looked for the young man, and he said, young man, you don't have to worry. There are rags on every branch of that tree.
Some of you this morning, you're wondering if God really can forgive you. You've transgressed far too many times. You don't feel like you're worthy. You're like that kid on the train. And you're wondering if God's going to hang a white flag for you. Let me just tell you, every branch is covered with a white rag. How do I know that? Because he sent his son Jesus to hang on a tree. And that was for you. To say you're forgiven. You can live a regret-free life. Because godly sorrow leads to repentance, which brings salvation and leaves no regrets. So if you're here today and you're saying, Kelly, I, uh, I need that today. I need that. Just raise a hand and say, that's me. Let me pray with you today. Anybody else? Jesus, you see the hands. In fact, more importantly, you know the hearts of each person in this room. And they're carrying a big stick and they just can't seem to move forward. But today we've learned that not only can we recognize our regrets, we can release those to you. And that you are faithful and just to forgive us and to purify us from all unrighteousness. And then we can take those steps forward for a new future or a reconciled future with those that we've heard or those who have hurt us. Because that's what you can do in our lives. What we can't do on our own, your grace can do in us and through us. So we choose right now, in this moment, to release those regrets right here. What I want you to do is I want you to just to close your fists for a moment all of us in this room. Inside that fist represents the regrets you've been holding on to. Maybe it's a regret of something you've done you don't think you're worthy of forgiveness or something done to you and you never will find that person worthy to forgive. But you've heard something different today and you know that that prison has held you far too long. And as we pray, I want you just, when you're ready, to release your hands, and in so doing, you're releasing that today before the Lord in this moment. God, you know those regrets. You know what they are. You know how they hurt or how they hurt others. But you can help us with this, Lord. And so we choose today to release those to you. And maybe for you right now, that means you're going to say a name of somebody that you choose to release. Maybe it means you're going to say an event that happened that you're going to choose to release and trust God. Even though it seemed very unfair, you can trust him with your unfair moments in life. For others, it might be yourself that you've held captive. And it's time to let it go. So in the name of Jesus, we do that this morning, Lord. Release those regrets to the one who can help us. 
The one who can take those regrets and redeem them and create a new future that we can't even now begin to imagine outside of the captivity of our regrets. So thank you today for doing that, for setting us free. In Jesus' name, amen.